thank you to all who have led us in worship so far. Today we'll be reading a familiar story, but I hope that you will hear it with new ears today. We're going to start in the book of Matthew, chapter 14, 22 through 33. Hear these words. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But by this time, the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning, he came walking towards them on the lake. But when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified, saying, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came towards Jesus. But then he noticed the strong wind. He became frightened, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This morning, our scripture passage, which is the lectionary passage preached all over the world today, brings us to the Sea of Galilee. When I was in divinity school, I had the great honor of traveling with professors and some of my best friends to Egypt, Israel, and Jordan. We spent our first week in Egypt, and then, much like Moses in the desert, well, except for a charter bus full of air conditioning and only a day's worth of driving, we traveled through the desert and finally arrived in Israel, finally to the Sea of Galilee, which compared to our desert trip so far was a welcomed oasis for weary travelers. After we arrived, our group leaders could not wait to get to the shore. They were preparing to lead us through a time of worship, a time of reflection at the very place where much of Jesus' ministry happened. They had plans for us to stand in awe and wonder at the sacred and holy space. But as I looked out on the Sea of Galilee, all I could focus on was a stand on the shore with the boats docked ready to take tourists out on the water on banana boats. At this point, all the plans for holy moments went out the window and I begged my friend group to come with me. Like, think about it, it's a banana boat on the Sea of Galilee where Jesus walked. This is going to be epic, epic maybe? Besides, I promised, just get on the boat and hold on. Just hold on, everything's gonna be fine. So, here is photo proof though from almost 15 years ago and not the greatest quality of my friends and I preparing to depart for the ride of our lives. But as sometimes happened, my fun and epic banana boat ride didn't go as planned. We had a inexperienced boat captain, a slightly deflated banana boat, and some rope that looked like it was old enough to have been on that boat with the disciples. On what I counted as one of the scariest 15 minutes of my life, I began to question my promise of arriving back to shore safely 
and that it wasn't going to actually happen. We began to wonder collectively and loudly, is this it? Is this the end for us? But it wasn't the end. We made it back to shore, barely, as we held, literally held each other onto this banana boat. And even 15 years later, these women and men who got on the boat with me are still some of my greatest friends and most supportive colleagues in ministry. Actually, I group texted them and they found these pictures for us. Even though we live so far apart, we survived quite the ride and that forever connected us together. Now, think with me of a time when you were afraid. Not fall off a banana boat afraid but really afraid. There are many kinds of fear, many things that we might be afraid of. I've been afraid before a major back surgery in my 20s, wondering if I was going to make it through safely and find healing and a full life after. I've been afraid watching each fertility treatment fail when I desperately wanted children. I have been afraid looking at the faces of my foster children and seeing their deep trauma and pain and not knowing their futures. Just this week, we've watched Maui go up in flames. We've seen clips of people fleeing the dangerous wildfires that have consumed whole towns and heard the fear in their voices as they've searched desperately for shelter and safety. Fear often brings questions. Fear causes us to wonder project out into an unknown future, which is even more frightening than the scary present. Today's gospel passage is about fear and about the responses to fear, ours and God's. We pick up in this story after a long day on which Jesus learned about the death of John, his cousin, and tried to find time apart to pray and be alone but was thwarted by a large and needy crowd. Remember how he healed them. He took compassion on them and he fed them along with his disciples. On that day of fear, Jesus found it in himself to feed God's hurting and hungry people. Immediately, Matthew tells us, Jesus told his disciples to get in a boat. Actually, he made them get in a boat. An odd detail, but it lets us know that Jesus is in charge. The disciples are his followers, and he takes command. Go, he tells them, and they obey. And Jesus finally finds the hours he needs to be alone, to pray and grieve and process the horrifying and beautiful events of this day. Matthew sees Jesus as the new Moses, so many of the most important events in Jesus' life are portrayed as taking place on a mountain. Like Moses on Sinai, Jesus goes up the mountain to pray and commune with God. Jesus is on a mountain. The disciples are in the boat, and time passes. The Sea of Galilee is known for its weather. It has these massive storms that blow up all of a sudden at the end of a relatively mild and cloudless day. And so the disciples are caught off guard by just such a storm, in their boat, battered by the waves, far from land, and it goes on all night long. A long night, no rescue in sight, no captain to shout out words of reassurance. I wonder what they were wondering. Were they wondering, is this it? 
Is this the end for us? Every gospel, every passage of scripture emerges from a particular historical situation. And Matthew has just described for us the situation of the early church. Jesus, whom Matthew has called Emmanuel, Hebrew for God is with us, Jesus is suddenly, distressingly absent. The church is likened to a boat in the middle of the journey, far from land and battered by the waves. Actually, the Greek word is tortured. The church is being tortured by the storm all around it. Matthew is telling us how the church is suffering in the early years, that time when Jesus' followers are going forth alone to spread the good news. They are in the boat, the church, with only their fragile craft preserving them from its threat, buffeted by the stormy winds and conflict and persecution. A long night for sure, no rescue in sight, no captain to shout out words of reassurance, except in the latest, darkest part of the night, literally the fourth watch, which would be between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. There he was. There comes Jesus, walking on the water. One of the hardest things we can try to do is to shift our minds into the mindset of the early church, to understand how they heard this story. These are people who never placed a phone call or complained about a long wait at a restaurant, who never waited for the results of a CT scan. That world is pretty hard for us to grasp. We who have the world and all its scientific discoveries right at our fingertips. We who know about gravity and why precisely Jesus should not be able to walk on water. But when the early church, those telephoneless people, heard this story, they heard it quite differently. Ah, they said, he walks on it. That means he conquers it. And what he walks on, the stormy sea or chaos, he is the conqueror of fear. Even when he is not present, he is somehow present. And when he is present, God is present. God who conquers chaos once and for all. But fear grips the disciples again anew. They wonder, is it a ghost? Which is a revealing fear. In other words, on this day in which they've heard of the death of a prophet, the disciples very reasonably fear that Jesus too is dead. But Jesus hears their terrified cries and says, take heart, I am here, do not be afraid. This alone might have been, must have been, powerfully comforting, encouraging for the disciples, battered as they were by the storm. But Peter reacts differently. Peter, the one who is both leader and representative of all of Jesus' followers, seeing Jesus walking on the water, becomes agitated, I would say. He seems to want and need something more. Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Lord, if it is you, Peter needs more. My colleagues, other ministers who are preaching on this very text this week, are utterly divided on Peter getting out of the boat. When we had a discussion all together this week, one said very poetically about Peter, when I read this, pas this passage, Peter is my hero. He's the grisly young seminarian who, because he doesn't know any better, starts a ministry with street kids in the inner city. 
He's the social activist who sees poor people without a medical or legal resource, then tries against all odds to help. He's like a community organizer who rallies a neighborhood to save a city park. He's the minister who may fall on their face, even mess up, but who's out there doing liturgy with his feet and soul, maybe in big ways, but often in tiny ones. Another say that Peter's insistence on getting out of the boat is a mistake, a personality defect, ego. They write, Christ tells the disciples, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter then challenges Jesus and says, if it is you, command me to come. Peter needs proof and innocence puts himself right out there. Make me do something special, set me apart, then I will believe. Peter is putting the burden of, of proof on Jesus. It is sort of like the desert story. If you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. And then as Peter begins to sink, he cries, Lord, save me. So there's no question who Jesus was at that point. In other words, Peter is us. No matter how you look at him, faithful and faithless, ego-driven, and humble, doubting and believing, all rolled into one. In fact, that word Jesus uses when he says, why did you doubt, really means divided in two. Why were you of two minds? Peter is us. Doubting and believing and trying and fearing all at the same time. And yet at the heart of his plea, isn't he somehow saying, draw me, Lord, draw me to you. Just like my friends that day on the Sea of Galilee, church is like a boat, and we are all in this boat together. In times of stress and trial, it is tempting to retreat, to not want to get in the boat, or not want to be in community, or step out into the water and question where Jesus is. But I urge you, the scripture says, to take heart. Jesus has already shown us he conquers chaos. But like the disciples, we are asked to support each other and be together, to get into the boat and be with your friends and watch what God is going to do. Get across the lake. There will be so many things against you. But Jesus says, hold on. When we are afraid and we are wondering what the future holds, our greatest hope is to be in the boat part of the community of believers, where Jesus' presence makes itself known. My divinity school friends not only kept me on a banana boat, they have supported me and kept me going in times where I did not know if I could, by their presence and by their reminders of God's promises. When we are afraid, it is God's presence, the face of God shining through the faces of our friends and loved ones that make the fear bearable. Even when we are wondering, is this it? Will this be the end for us? The gospel message insists, this is not the end. Get in the boat, stay connected to each other, row across the lake, and then put your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength into your service of God and God's people. There will be a storm. There is always a storm but Emmanuel is with us. When we keep our eyes on God instead of focusing on the storm, when we just hold on, 
we know that fear and chaos are not the end. In fact, we will experience even more new life, better life, and fuller life together. Thanks be to God. Amen. If you have not experienced a life where the chaos conqueror is, I invite you today to join us, to join this congregation, to get in the boat, to focus on God and focus on each other and focus on the community. We offer a time, the band will come back and play, just use it as a time to pray or to connect and see where God will lead you.